Welcome, everybody, to episode 21 of the Altitude Talk Show. I'm your host, Isaac Marks, and I'm joined by Logan Bannon, as always. We are now of a legal drinking age. How do you feel? Drunk. <laughs> but it, we're not. Not quick. No, Mom, we're not. we're not. I promise. We're it's unprofessional. It's undignified. We're pros, kind of, sort of. Not really. But we pretend to be. So we save the drinking till after we're off the air. How's your week been? It's been a while since we talked. Yeah. The roster's entirely different since our last podcast. But uh, Tony it's been Rogers. all right. It's been up and down. I saw that. I don't know. Uh, I've been braving the, the snow in Denver and the blizzards, and all the grass is green again, so I guess baseball is still coming next week. Oh, that's nice. So that's good, but yeah, it's still hard to believe it just stopped snowing here. We're recording, what day is it? Thursday afternoon, Thursday <laughs> evening. Thursday yeah, evening I'm, for me. I'm just like getting real stoked. I've been I've been checking MLB trade rumors like three times a day since October, so now I'm like, yeah, let's get this going. Let's get some actual things happening. It's here finally, and thank God. Yep. Are you are you heading out to opening day? Are you gonna make the trek? I am. My anti season tickets, and so she always invites me and my brother and some of my family to go, and I'm. It's gonna be good. Last year when we went, my dad got drunk at a bar Ooh. and compared Charlie Blackman to the Unabomber. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I've told you that story before. You have, you have. Uh, That's... Yeah, I mean, I, I think things can only go downhill from there. So we'll see, <laughs> but I don't know. Jokes like That's that great. aside, I just want to watch some baseball, and it's going to be fun, and we're going to win. Yeah, I'm excited. We do have news for all you listeners out there. Um, both Logan and I, and I have jumped ship from Rock's Pile over to Purple Row. Hooray! People are going to read our writing now, and it's scary. I feel like they're unleashing the beast. We have to live up to actual expectations now instead of setting our own. and It's just a change I don't think we're used to, but I think we'll make the adjustment. We'll be okay. Yeah. But You know, I want to thank Isaac right now. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, God. He, he looked at my face last summer, and he goes, you know what? That guy's face deserves to be in an audio podcast. <laughs> And then we decided to make a podcast. He's like, you know what? That guy's voice needs to write. Let's put him in print. And now here we are. Yeah, whatever. All right, we're both here, and that's what matters. We're doing it because we love it, because it's fun, and because everybody else out there loves our writing so much. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. Not really the third one, but, you know, whatever. Okay, let's, after three minutes of just sticking around. Let's actually start with what we're going to talk about. We have the Trevor Story um, starting shortstop of the opening day to start off. I'm going to go through and give a little preview of pretty much everywhere on the Rockies roster from the starting lineup to the back end of the bullpen. Um, We have some bets for you, some actual bets and some things we made up. So Send us your money if you want to win anything on that. You won't get anything, but we'll keep your money. So if you want to do that, go for it. Um, talk some former Rockies. There's some interesting ones out there that are making impacts, making an impact across Major League Baseball. And then the ever-famous Logan Social Minute. So, Logan, it looks like we're going to start with some Trevor Story news. He's our starting shortstop. Who said that was going to happen? Isaac did. Yeah, it did. If you follow my Twitter account, which chances are if you do that, you probably work for Purple Row. <laughs> you know that I confess that Isaac is smarter than me when it comes to predicting shortstops. Because uh, I guess it must have been two podcasts ago. I was pretty adamant and pretty strong in my belief that Christian Adamas would be our opening day starting shortstop. And now that we're reaching the conclusion of spring training... Aside from the fact that it's been announced, I'd say even before that, I couldn't have been further from the truth. <laughs> uh, I mean, Trevor Story, I think, batted about 1,200 during spring training. So uh, Yeah, that was, his OPS was around 1,200 for the first like week and a half. I mean, I was talking batting average, but oh. yeah, OPS too. Yeah, I mean, it is physically impossible to go above one. He found a way. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. All right, well, Logan's right on that account. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the guy's crushed it, and 
you know, there, there are guys out there that are arguing one way or another he deserves to be on the opening day roster. You know, some people think they need to go the Chris Bryant route and keep his service time. But really, I mean, when a guy's crushing that well and when a guy's so clearly ready to go, it's hard to keep him down and it's hard to keep him away from the starting lineup. Well, but it's not also that black and white of a situation either. It's not you bring him up and he stays up for the entire year or you send him down for three weeks and then his service, service clock starts. Like, I think the Rockies are assuming that Reyes is going to be suspended a, and we'll get to Reyes in a little bit, but um, Jose Reyes will be suspended for a substantial amount of games and when he comes back, they'll have a decision to make with either Adames or Story, who are going to be, or and Descalso, um, who they still have yet to make a decision on um, because he's starting the season on the disabled list. Um, so with Story having an option, he's the most likely to be sent down, despite the fact that he very well could be our starting shortstop for at least the next four or five years. But... I think they're taking that into account when they're starting him now. And when you get sent down to to the minors, your service clock stops. So there could be, like, it very well could be from June to July, his uh, playing time. Wow, I just completely forgot the term. The, um, his service clock, there it is. Service clock, guys. His service clock gets paused and then he reaches that super two or goes over that super two threshold anyway. So I think that's kind of what they were going for. Um, it seems likely they're, it's not the Reyes situation is tricky because cutting him after his suspension is going to cost between 40 and $50 million. And the Rockies have been, General, generally frugal with their players, and that's a huge sunk cost, especially for a small market team. For comparison, uh, Cargo is our most expensive player right now, I believe, outside of Reyes. We're paying Cargo $37 million over the next two years to play for us, and if we were to cut Reyes, as Isaac said, we'd be paying him about $40 million over the next two years not to play for us. Right. So that'd be a huge pill to swallow from a monetary perspective. And you can't discount that either. Like, that's a huge sum of money. Despite the fact that our owners probably could afford that, it's not a great business move, and it's just... It's not a good baseball move, because then you kind of limit your spending money for the next year when you have a huge roster spot. Or or you could use that money on an extension for a guy like, I don't know, Nolan Arenado. So they have to figure out a different way to get rid of his salary. Yeah, and I mean, you look at one thing I've seen Jonah Carey reference a few times in some of his articles is the sunken cost fallacy, where it's like, all right, yeah, we owe Jose Reyes a bunch of money right now. You know, we could try and get creative, find a way to get it off the books, but let's say we can't. Is it worse for us to be paying him and having him on our roster or to be paying him and not have him on our roster? Because it's easy to sit here and say you can't let that money you know, go to waste on a guy that's not on the roster. But, I mean, all money aside, are we better off having him on the roster or not because that money's going to him regardless right well i mean i'm mostly playing devil's advocate because if it was if i was making the decision i would just i would have cut ties a while ago um just because like i would have gotten whatever the hell i could have gotten for a last deadline because he's just that's a massive contract for a guy that doesn't like fit into our future and so i would have made that move but they didn't and it's a whole nother discussion but there's so yeah you're right it's is it worth him playing or not because either way he's going to get the money either from us or from someone else he's he's not going to just get like lose his contract that's not how baseball works it's like it's the downside of having these massive guaranteed contracts whereas if there was a football team you would cut him and you probably would owe him like couple hundred thousand dollars and that would that'd be it out of a 55 million dollar contract but like that's not how it is the, the contracts favor the players and in a situation like this kind of screws the teams over a little bit I, mean, I don't know how you feel i'm generally almost always on the side of the player but this one's a little bit different because there's that like i don't know domestic violence wrinkle in there so 
Yeah, I mean, we're not an NFL podcast, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but I don't understand how the NFL gets away with that con- uh, contract structure. Oh, yeah, it's a joke. How, how they can have, like, a guy on the hook for $20 million and then just cut him and owe him nothing, like, yeah. especially a league like the NFL nothing, where people yeah. are, like, are, like, literally, like, dying of serious brain injuries, like, 10 years after they retire. Yeah, well, that, like, too. If but... they're borderline, like, they don't, they're, like, rental players. Yeah. And, it's ridiculous. Well, but. that too, but it's also a multi-billion-dollar industry. Like, baseball does not is not as valuable of a of a or like industry as football is. Like, football, I don't obviously don't know the exact numbers, but football is by far the largest grossing sport in the United States. They can afford to pay their players on like baseball scale salaries, but they don't. So. Take that as you will. Jeff Samarja made $15 million annually in his contract. That's about the same level as like a top 510 QB. So uh, That's what Peyton made. That's more than Peyton made last year. And yeah, so that's, that's a good scale for you. Yeah. So if you're moderately good at baseball versus very good at football like Samarja, generally you want to go the baseball side if you're looking purely economics. Yeah. Um, well, and health too. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned it. Like these football players are dying early and damaged. So I don't know. Take that into account if you ever decide to play uh, football or baseball. So, all right, let's move to some like actual Rockies talk. Our opening day lineup's pretty set, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, not really too many surprises other than the story thing. Um, you yeah. know. Really, I mean, you look, there really weren't a whole lot of holes around the, the diamond to begin with. Um, you know, catcher was always Nick Hundley. You know, first base was set. Really going all the way around the infield. Other than shortstop was set. Outfield, we knew who it was going to be. Really the only question I'd say, and this was something we talked about a little bit before off the air, where do you have Story batting in the lineup? Do you want to put him up at the top of the lineup? Do you want to put him more towards the bottom, like is kind of standard with a lot of rookies? Um, and where are you looking? And, and for reference, CBS Sports uh, recently reported, and I've heard it from a few different spots as well, but basically the, it's saying that LeMahieu is looking like he's probably going to start the season batting eighth. There's a good chance of that happening. And the logic, I guess the logical implication of that would be that would put Story in the second spot, which is where we originally had LeMahieu. Right. I Just to... Just to revisit the conversation we had before, we were kind of talking about the merits of batting a um, a rookie in the second hole versus the seventh hole or the eight. And there's downsides to all three, but the seventh spot is the most logical because in the in the second in the number two hole, there's been so line, lineup construction op- optimization is relatively a myth. Um, it's like there's having a fully optimized lineup just in terms of order, not in terms of like handedness, like, but in terms of order, you can gain maybe like one game a season, which is pretty marginal when it comes to baseball. It's like the equivalent of having, um, Oh, I don't know. Who's a very average player. Like a Ben Paulson play for a full season over, like a lesser first baseman, like a Mike Kaufman playing first baseman or something. Um, but the two hole is typically where you want your best hitter because they're likely to see the most like impact situations and get the most at bats with runners on base. Um, I don't think story fits that bill. I would much rather see a guy like possibly because we've never seen him play a regular season major league game <laughs> yeah that might be it but i mean his he showed that he can hit major league pitching which is great but he hasn't played a full major league season or like stood up against major league pitchers for a full anywhere close to a full season so that's kind of the worry there when you're hitting eighth as you mentioned before i think it was last podcast um you're not going to, especially in the National League, you're not going to see a lot of good pitches because they know the um, the pitchers right behind you. So they're going to give you trash, and you're going to swing at trash, and you're not going to develop much 
as a hitter. You want a veteran guy who knows what he's doing, who works the count, and can get on base and flip the lineup over. Story's not that guy. So the seventh spot, where you have a major league hitter behind you, a guy like Nick Hunley or like a Ben Paulson hitting eighth or something like that, a guy who can work work the account, keep the inning alive, and um, all that stuff while still seeing some fastballs, the seventh hole just kind of seems like the logical spot, no? Makes the most sense to me, especially for the exact reasons you're saying. It takes a little bit more pressure off of Trevor Story. You know, you can go the Joe Madden look and say, you know, you can't put him second because it's the most high-impact spot. But really, it's just, to me, looking at it from an old-school perspective, you can't put him second because he hasn't shown a track record of being a high-on-base guy. So it's like you put him second, you somebody in the second... I can't even talk right now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you put a guy in the two-hole, you want him to get on base, set the table for the Arenados, the Cargos, um, you know, whoever's going to bat five, probably Para. You look at Story, and he's the kind of guy where he's going to hit some home runs, he's going to steal some bases, but... Right now, it's looking like he's probably going to bat like 240, 250 if his past you know, production in the minors and kind of his general projections are anything to believe. So, you know, you put him seventh, suddenly he's not in that role where he has to get on base, where he has to set the table. Suddenly, more of a, a guy that brings in Parra, the guy that brings in Cargo when there's two outs, those kinds of things. And it seems like right now, just given the type of player he is, that, that seems to be a little bit more of a comfort zone, it seems like. And so I'd agree, probably put him at the seven hole, and then what? Leave, let's say, leave uh, Lemayhew in the two hole, or even, know. or even, and put Blackman in the two hole. Have Parra lead off, or Lemayhew lead off, but give Charlie Blackman one of our like most consistent hitters. Like, yes, he is a great leadoff hitter, but give him the opportunity to move guys over and um, drive some drive some runs in because he has that good combination of like walks batting average and power that you kind of want in your like two hole from a traditional standpoint yeah i mean i guess i hadn't really thought about that i just penciled the man at, at lead off i mean i didn't really think about it. it either until like literally right now so there, <laughs> there you go walt weiss listen up yeah we have an idea yeah but, listen to uh, us we're important yeah, so we got that kind of figured out. We got our, our thoughts on that. But then a little bit more surprise with who's not in the starting lineup looking at our bench. Uh, first and foremost, you look at our, our pre-spring training predictions. And two of the guys that are going to make the team weren't even on the Rockies at the time. We're talking about Tony Walters, Bobby's favorite, and then Ryan Rayburn, your favorite. <laughs> and so, I mean... What are you thinking about this bench? It, it's shaping up to either be really solid or a little sketchy just because, like I said, these guys weren't exactly highly coveted, highly talked about guys going into spring training. So you know how I feel about Ryan Rayburn. I think it's a good fit, and he's a great right-handed complement to the three left-handers we have in our outfield. He can also play a little bit of the infield if we need him to. Don't really need him to, but he can do it. Um so can Walters, as the backup catcher, he can play pretty much any position. I wouldn't be surprised if he pitches at one point during the season just because he's Tony Walters, and as Bobby believes, he can do anything. Um, for those listening, we're actually we're talking about Bobby DeMuro, so he's been doing a great job this uh, spring training, just churning out interviews, so go read some of his stuff. It's really interesting, um, but he's taken a uh, particular liking to Tony Walters, um, and the guy just came into camp and just battled and proved to everybody that he belongs in on a major league roster. Both Dustin Garneau and Tom Murphy um, are two picks, respectively, to um, be the backup catcher this year. Both struggled pretty like pretty mightily at the plate this um, during spring training. I don't think either of them was hitting over two hundred. Um, I mean, granted, small sample size, but still, it's a proving ground in these this month to earn your way onto the opening day lineup. Um, Mark Reynolds sitting like flip flopping with Ben Paulson, so one of those guys takes off the bench. Christian Adamas is the backup infielder. Um, 
it's good that he's on the roster. He has a chance to show what he can do. Um, hopefully not get too limited at bats because I still think he has some potential. But then that last spot um, could be uh, Brandon Barnes. Um, so very right-handed heavy bench. Um, not a lot of switch. Not a lot of the only guy who's um, used to uh, pinch hitting is Mark Reynolds. So that's all. Oh, I guess Brandon Barnes too, but he's not the. That's not his strength. So I don't know. It's an interesting lineup. We got what two guys? Oh, I guess Raymond pinch hits sometimes or whatever. Anyway, um, if he's not used to it, he better get used to yeah. it because it's going to be a big role for him this year, I'm sure. Especially with the three lefties. But with Walters and Adamus, those are, these are two guys that have seen very, very little um, major league pitching and seen time in a major league roster. So this is it'll be interesting to see what they do and how that moves, how they move forward. Yeah, especially carrying two catchers. You know, like you were saying, Walters is very versatile. I don't know how a dude can know how to play both catcher and second base at the same time. I didn't know that was like a, even a possibility. Yeah, but. Oh, and I mean, the outfield, and third, and like, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, along with everywhere else. Yeah. But, um, I mean, considering that we don't have a third catcher on the roster, it'll be interesting to see how much that versatility really comes into play because if Nick Hundley's catching, it, it kind of makes you hesitate to put Walters out at second base because then, you know, it, it just exposes a lot more vulnerability at that catcher spot because yeah. it's tricky for a guy to switch positions mid-game and just go behind the plate. Um and that's maybe where, you know, maybe somewhere later in the lineup or later in the year, maybe you see a third catcher come up, depending on how Walters turns out, depending on, you know, where he ends up showing that he can succeed defensively. You know, my guess would be maybe they're going to kind of pin him in at either catcher or utility guy slash emergency catcher, but I don't see him being both, you know, yeah. both a number two and an infield type guy. Yeah. Well, if anybody can switch between positions, probably Walters can do it. So, all right. Anything else you want to say about our bench? Because, I don't know. It's an interesting group of guys. Um, we'll see what they can do. There's not much else to say because we know, we know what we're going to get from Rayburn. We know what we're going to get from Barnes. Um, we know what we're going to get from Paulson and Reynolds because they're all pretty proven. The other two guys, we're kind of like basically giving them a shot to prove their worth. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind not, of a niche not much else guys. to say. It's just, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like like you're saying. We know what we're getting from those guys, but especially some of these younger guys, I feel like it's just going to kind of be an extended tryout for that first month and a half of the season, anyway. You know, seeing exactly where they fit, because to me, it doesn't really look all that well defined, even now after a month down in Arizona. Um, you know, and then like we said, you know, Barnes, we're not even 100 percent sure he's going to be on the team, and if he doesn't make the team. That pushes the guys that are on the team to do well because it's it's going to be a short leash if he's not there. He's going to be the first to get called up. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, what, we'll, see what, we'll see what we need when we get there. I guess. Yeah. So uh, the Rockies are starting the season with a four-man rotation. Um, they're going De La Rosa, Chad Bettis, Jordan Lyles, and Tyler Chatwood with John Gray. Um, Hitting the, starting the season on the DL with an abdominal strain. He apparently threw a bullpen a couple days ago, um, so he's starting to build back already, which is a good sign. Um, but, I mean, he can't come back until his 15 days on the disabled list are up. Um, so that's interesting. But So what do you think of that? I, I don't know how I feel about the four-man rotation. I don't know what's scarier about that, taking a couple guys that are coming off serious injuries in Lyles and Chatwood and giving them more stress than they necessarily need or taking a bullpen that gets burned into the ground every year and giving them more stress than they need. I mean, part of me thinks, and we, we kind of mentioned it earlier, and to me it sounds crazy on the surface, part of me thinks we need to either have a five-man rotation with an eight-man bullpen or stick with the four-man rotation, but then have a nine-man bullpen, keep 13 pitchers, and just have four on the bench. You know, just keep Walters, Reynolds, Adamas, and Rayburn. Yeah. But, like, I mean, it's not like we can't count on these position guys to play every day for the first couple weeks. Right. It's not like we need five guys on the bench 
especially like we were saying, you know, we could live without Barnes between Parra being versatile, having Rayburn, you know, having guys like Paulson that can play the outfield if if needed. We really don't need five outfielders. So, you know, I, I think we could potentially keep Barnes down and that would ease the stress on this line or both the rotation and the bullpen either way. I just don't like having the four-man pen because, like I said, Chatwood hasn't thrown in a year and a half. Why do we right. need to be giving him extra starts? Well, and, and Chatwood's really the focal point of that too, right? Like he's the guy coming off the injury. He's the guy that you're really worried about, um, like throwing him out to the wolves and seeing and overworking him and causing something to happen again to his elbow for the third time. So that's not really something that you want to have happen. But um, I think they should have given... I mean, if Chris Russin didn't get hurt, if he had like um, been fully healthy for all of spring training, I think he would have, with the um, gray injury in mind, would have finished, the, uh, finished spring training as the fifth starter. Um, and then... Because he's an easy guy to transition back and forth from the bullpen to starting starting lineup and fits that mold perfectly um and they could theoretically do that with Bergman but he's better suited for the bullpen I think or Flande but Flande's better suited for the rotation so I think they want to keep um those two guys in their respective roles but Russin is that perfect blend of being able to do both equally um both as equally well as the one is equally well as the other whatever whatever you know what i'm trying to say yeah but so here's kind of a crazy idea what if we had like some sort of a piggyback system (laughs) we had four starters and then four other guys to come in and throw a few innings after the starters what if you had three guys to just rotate and the for the two innings after the starters go in and just rotate those three guys over and over again that could work or what if we just brought in a Tim Wakefield whose arm literally feels no stress and just have him be our only starter? Every single game, knuckleballer? Cy Young MVP candidate. He'd win, like, 63 games. <laughs> <laughs> so, he'd set the record. God, that's really a glass-half-full kind of look. <laughs> I'm trying to be positive on that one. God, can you imagine a knuckleball pitcher in Coors Field? Wow. R.A. Dickey must, like, just never, ever want to come to Coors Field in his entire life. All, all those sexy R.A. Dickey gifts where the ball dances? Yeah. Put those in Coors Field and it just turns into home run gifts oh. all day. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing he's not in the National League West. Playing, Ooh. like, what, 30 games in Arizona and Colorado? That would just be a like, nightmare for him. Yeah. But... I mean, I guess this is why we're not running a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> because we'd be those guys that would be like, what if? What if? Let's try it. All right, Dickie, how do you feel about Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> Pay you a lot of money, yeah. Mike Hampton. Sorry. Uh, don't, let's not go but, there. But uh, anyways, well, we're really getting off topic today. Yeah, let, let's talk some bullpen. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's just talk bullpen. Right not really a whole lot to talk about the rotation. We already said we have to do with four-man. Yeah. But, I mean, rotation looking pretty set. Uh, back end is looking like it's probably going to be Jake McGee starting the year as a closer. Chad Qualls, who we're remembering to discuss this time, he will make the team. He will not be a shortstop. No, sadly. Uh, then we got uh, Jason Mott's going to start the year on the DL, but whenever he comes back, he's presumably going to be on the Major League roster. Right. Uh, your favorite, Boone Logan, a.k.a. Bone Lagoon. Bone Lagoon. Who... We hope and pray we'll be a, a loogie here. Loogie. Loogie, yeah, we'll okay. Let's, let's, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Baseball has the best terms. Like, loogie and tootblan. I love tootblan. Yeah, it's the best so one. Much. Every time I see it, I'm just like, yeah, tootblan. And, and for those of you less versed in baseball internet speak, Stands for thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop. <laughs> which I believe is measured by some sort of complicated algorithm. <laughs> or the eye forth, test where people... forth by fangrass. <laughs> Probably, but it's the best statistic in baseball. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sorry to but, interrupt. Yeah, so we got Boone Logan. We got, uh, as announced today, 
the beanstalk looking Miguel Castro is going to make for the team. Well, one of the pieces in the Tula trade, the first to make the big league roster. Uh, he's going to come in, throws real hard. He should be fun to watch. Uh, Justin Miller, who pitched pretty solid last year, has ups and downs. Uh, Chris Russin and Christian Bergman, who to me are basically copies of each other. Just like we said, swing men, starters, long reliever types. Unremarkable yet consistent. Yeah. And then here's where it kind of gets gray. The last spots would potentially go to either Scott Oberg or Jason Gurka, which, depending on what we do with that fifth bench spot, it could go to both of them. Otherwise, it's one or the other. Um, and really, I mean, it seems to me like it's leaning a little bit more towards Oberg, but I don't think it's even decided yet. Well, Oberg did let up seven runs in a third of an inning on Tuesday, I think. So that Rest in peace. Yeah, that didn't uh, work for him. But yeah. Oh, I think the Rockies believe in Oberg's potential. Um, he's got a he's got a solid arm, and when he's on, he's on. But as we've proven, when he's like not throwing well, he is not throwing well. So well, that's can, why we need nine relievers. Yeah, well, seriously. But then Gurka provides the other side of the coin, where he's a left-handed guy that you could kind of throw into a mid to late inning situation or on the back end of a bullpen if you want a left-on-left matchup or if you have like three lefties and um, four batters and just have a guy go out there throw and throw most of an inning whereas you have Boone Logan who should never ever face a right-handed pitcher ever for the rest of his life so Gurkha kind of provides that middle ground of not being a pure loogie but still a bit of a left-handed specialist to the point where he can focus on left-handed guys. I personally, I think I would go with Oberg because he fits the rest of what they want in the bullpen. They want high-powered fastball guys that can strike people out. Gurkha is more of a con- uh, contact hitter or contact pitcher um, and just doesn't quite fit what the Rockies want their bullpen to be made of. But again... That's why we're not running a team. I'm just realizing we haven't even potted since I went to Arizona. Oh, no. Yeah, because I was just thinking, I was like, remember when everyone was getting all hyped on Carlos Estevez because he was shredding up the Cactus League? Oh, Carlos Estevez. He'll be and, back. And then, He'll be back. I'm not worried. Yeah, and then I went to a game, and he got torn apart by the Reds, and that was like the last that people talked about him potentially making the team. That being said, I sat down in the bullpen for a while when he was warming up. He was a big boy, and he yeah. throws hard, throws and he really makes me hard. happy for the future. Throws really hard. And, and Isaac said, I don't think that's the last we're going to hear of him. Potentially even this season. He could be up later this year. Oh, I definitely think he'll be up at some point. Especially, as we said, if our bullpen gets torn apart by June, as we expect it to probably do. I mean, that's what always happens, so of course. We'll see him. It'll happen. But, yeah, so we got, um, and we got four days here figure out these last couple spots for sure. And then Rockies play on Monday night in Arizona. And uh, everyone tune in to watch. I will be staying up until at least 1 o'clock to finish that game because I'm assuming that's how long it's going to take. Go baseball. Go baseball. It's a 7.40 start time for you, right? Sounds right to me. Yeah, so nine forty. Nine forty Eastern. All right. All I know is I cleared my whole night for that. So nine forty Eastern. I'm ready. Let's go. All right, we're gonna move on to our prop bet section. The first two prop bets are real prop bets, sort of. The first one is, but from there on, Logan kind of made a bunch up, and yeah. so it'll be fun. So yeah. you want to take it away? Yeah. So the first one, as every good. Prop bets section starts with good. It's 71 and a half wins for the Rockies. So that, I pulled that number, ESPN.com has that prediction as kind of the over-under betting line for the Rocks. So that would put us at 71 and a half wins in 90.5 losses. You got us better than 71 and a half wins or worse? Better. What about you? I like the blind optimism. I agree, though. <laughs> I mean, we got 
it just it doesn't seem like a ninety loss team to me. You know, it it just seems like the kind of team. I don't. No one's saying we're going to be good, and by no means would I think we're going to be good. But it doesn't seem that difficult to see us winning seventy four to seventy nine games this year. There's a little bit of hope with this season. Like I coming into the season with the trading of Tulo and the potential of trading like Cargo, Blackman, and all, and all these guys, you kind of came in with the feeling like, okay, we're going to be the Sixers for a little bit, or Sixers for a year, and just kind of see if that works out. But you kind of get the feeling that some of the like story's going to work out, Para's going to work out, Jake McGee's going to be a flamethrower, and then once Ottavino comes back, that's a monster, like that's a massive two-headed monster at the back of a bullpen. So, I mean, to be fair, he's probably not coming back to like August, maybe September. Yeah. But I don't know. I I have some optimism. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that sticks out to me more than anything, I feel like this is the best our rotation's been in a long time. Not that it's good, but like Delaroso, we already know what he's going to give us. He's been the same player for 5-6 years now. Chad Bettis was good last year. If he could keep that up, that'll be, sadly, probably our best number two that we've had in recent memory. I mean, Lyles and Chatwood starting the year healthy. They've shown potential. They've shown flashes. They're not necessarily consistent. But, I mean, even behind that, you know, Gray hopefully is going to be good. Gray obviously has good stuff, you know, our most hyped starting pitching prospect. But then when we inevitably get that grind and we have to start digging into our depth a little bit, in past years, it seems like we've had crap that fills those <laughs> spots. Yeah. I mean, crap. And then we've also had Johan Flande. But other Fair. than Flande, total crap. Uh, this year, when we get into the later half of the season, I just feel like that's when we're going to start seeing the Freelands, the Hoffmans, guys like that. All the young guys that we've been yeah, hearing all, about all the for young like guys five years. Who actually have shown talent right. instead of guys who are 30 years old. And have never made a major league team somehow. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like our depth at starting rotation is going to be good, and I feel like we've had a little bit more talent. You just complimented and like completely offended Johan Flande in the same sentence. Nothing intentional. I love, <laughs> I love Johan Flande. Let's just get that explicitly on the record. Oh, that's been on the record for a very if, long time. If if you if we go back and hear what I said. I said, when we've had to dig into our depth, it's been nothing but crap and Johan Flande, yeah. implying that Johan <laughs> Flande is not crap. <laughs> I would never say such a thing, and you know it. <laughs> I mean, Johan Flande was one of those guys who was 30 years old and had yet to make a major league team. I, I want Johan Flande to be a reliever just so we can have Flande like four days a week. Yeah, okay. All right. Flande as in F-L-A-N-D-A-Y, if yeah. you want to start the hashtag with us. We yeah. always, every time. No space. No space. People from Spain keep trying to steal it. It's not going to work. It's going to happen. Okay. I just, I just need to build up a, a rapport. Yeah. I, need to get, I need to get Brian to tweet it out. People will get it. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Moving on. All right. So we're both seeing over. We're optimistic. Next one. ERA. I'm putting the overrunner at a nice even five. Uh, for reference, last year the team ERA on the entire season was 5.04, so we hovered right around it. I kind of already gave away what I think is going to happen, but what are you thinking? I mean, you kind of feel like an ass for saying over five, and you just feel like a terrible, terrible Rockies fan and just super pessimistic. So I'm going to say under because... I think it's going to be close to five, but I don't think it's going to be over. We'll see some marginal improvement. Because chances, chances are, like, Lyles is going to get hurt again. And, like, this is just, like, the pessimism just bo- bubbling out about the pitching staff. John Gray doesn't figure it out for until, like, the second half of the season and still finishes with, like, a 490 ERA. Like, all yeah. this is very, like, viable. Yeah, and I mean, you think about how bad our, our rotation, our pitching staff was last year. And to finish at a 5.04, you're like, I can't believe it was just 5.04. Yeah. You know, it seems like it was right around like a 5.5s five probably. So if, it, if a team can be that bad and only finish just a hair above 5, you have to look under. I mean, even 
with us having our spring optimism in full effect here. Spring optimism. Reasonably speaking, you have to at least yeah. think that it's fair that we get under five this year. Yes. You know, there's no indication that we're going to be any worse as a pitching staff. Right. It's in our spring optimism is in full bloom. So. Yeah. All right. Next one. Arenado, 40 homers. I'm going to say Last under. year he finished at 42. I'm saying under. I think he'll be up in the high 30s again, but I don't think he's going to hit 40. I think he's going to focus a little bit more on um, being more, being a little bit more patient at the plate. And with that, the power numbers would drop a little bit. I agree. That's pretty much exactly what my notes say here. I mean, I think he's going to work a little bit more on... Uh, they're getting his batting average above 300, like you were saying, setting the table, maybe getting a few more walks, just because it hopefully would elongate our lineup a little more to just keep it going instead of just being kind of a go-for-broke kind of guy, especially when you have a guy like Cargo who kind of does that same thing where he's always swinging for the fences. Well, that's also the next step of his development too, right, into like a more complete hitter, is that's kind of the part that's missing. He's got the power. He's got the... Um, like line drive ability, but it's the patience and the walks and the knots being light cargo and swinging at the slider like down and away. Um, so, cool. I like, I'd like to think that he's going to develop into a more complete hitter instead of just swinging for the fences every time. But What if Arenado just becomes like well, he kind of already is, but, like, the next Goldschmidt just, like, puts up freakishly crazy offensive numbers, but then, like, people just don't talk about it because he's on a bad team. So yeah. Isaac has the police going by his house. He's just um, showing me right now. As you may hear in the mic, I'd certainly hear it. I don't know. Can you actually hear it? Yeah. Oh, well, that's the president uh, driving by, so I'm showing you the president right now. For those oh, of you who exciting. don't know, I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm watching the president's motorcade outside my window. So that was cool. I also or the vice president's, but it was long enough to be like somebody actually super important. So that was cool. All right, there you go. Fun story. I also had the police outside my room last night. Oh, Turns yeah. out I did not have the president going by, though. Uh-huh. I had a hood rat firing his gun about a block from my house <laughs> and screaming into the night about how using various racial slurs about how some guy is tough, are you real, things things that rappers say. Okay. And that was, and I, <laughs> that's I live in Denver. That's a which, good way to put it. Yeah. yeah that was we're, fam- we're family friendly. Family friendly on this show. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I apparently live in the hood, as I found out last night. <laughs> Let's get back on topic and yeah. get our minds okay. off of the hood rats. <laughs> Next prop at... Cargo games played. In his seven years as a Rocky, Carlos Gonzalez has averaged 117 games per season. So my over-under logically is rounding it to a nice pretty number. Over-under 120 for him this year, which to me seems like a huge thing because if he's playing 80, that's going to really kill our offense. If he's playing 150 to 160, it's big. That, that's, a, that's a real boost to the middle of our order here. So what you got? I think he's healthy this year or no? I'm going to say over. I feel like he's kind of fallen in the Jordan Lyles spot where he's had these weird injuries, like the tentacly mass he had on his finger like three years ago. Like, First of all, that just kind of makes you squirm thinking about a tentacly mass on your finger. Just like, it's gross. But, um, and the tendonitis is always never, is ne- not something to joke about. It's just kind of persistent. Um, but it seemed like he kind of um, figured out a way to mitigate that last year. So I think he stays over. I think he stays healthy for 140, 145 again. I guess kind of a follow-up question to that. And actually, let me give you my answer here. Okay. I'm going to go over, but just barely. I'm thinking he's going to have like two 15-day DL stints, be right around like 125, 130. So definitely miss some time, but not enough for it to be an injury season as we seem to define it as. But I guess my question is, for the games that he does play, do you think we're going to see more of April to July cargo or more of July to September cargo? In other words, good or bad? Is he going to be K-ing on sliders outside the zone or is he going to be hitting like 10 homers in a week? Well, I mean, it, it depends on 
what happens if he gets hurt and if he gets hurt. If he tries to play through something, we'll see um, bad cargo. If he's healthy, we'll see good cargo. I think we're going to see good cargo for the majority of the season. I want him to see. I want him to hit forty-five home runs this year. It's lofty. I like it. I think he could do it. He almost did it last year in like half a season. He did. Whoa! I just had a super loud truck drive by. Yeah, you did. This is Urban Narration Podcast, <laughs> <laughs> episode twenty-one. Okay, oh, uh, we yeah, really do I mean, sound like we're drunk, don't we? We do. This is we're all. This is more off-topic than usual, I think. Nah, it's par for the course. We're having fun. We right. love this story. All right, next one. The story of the week. Uh, First time I made that pun so far. I can't believe it took me that long. Jesus. Trevor Story. <laughs> 81 games started, so similar to Cargo, but for a whole different reason. Do you think Story starts a majority of our games this season? No. You're putting him at less than 81. Yes. But I want to be wrong. So Who are you, who are you putting in his place? Reyes? Adamas? Reyes until he gets traded. Or... How the hell are we going to trade Reyes? I don't know. It could happen. <laughs> We're making bold predictions here, Logan. We're, we're not supposed Extra to. Bold. We're, we're getting off of the logic train and just kind of going for it. So, I like, we're reckless. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna explain my reasoning because I don't really have reasoning. I'm just gonna that. I'm gonna put that on wax, and so if it comes true, I can point to it and be like, hell yeah. But if it, well, yeah, I was gonna say, well, as always, I was gonna be the logical well thought out <laughs> podcast with the two of us we all know i'm the rational one of the, between us yeah but finish okay. your thought you're just gonna put it out there and you're just gonna yeah. stick it right on your chest and just own it i want yes so i want story to start the entire season that's what as a fan that's what i want as like thinking about this logically i doubt that he starts the, like the majority of the games i yeah, I just I think Reyes is going to come back and think they're going to give him some playing time. Story's inevitably going to struggle a little bit, um, just because of the being a rookie and being in the major leagues. Um, I think Adamas is going to start a good amount of games. I think so. I don't think Story's going to be the outright starter right away. I think he's going Adamas is going to get a solid chunk of games at short. Um, so. Yeah, and then he'll be fighting for, um, and then I think when Reyes comes back, he'll be sent down a little bit to pause his service clock. I, I seriously think that's their plan. I think they're bringing him up until Reyes comes back, send him down, bring him back up um, once that service clock stuff is done or whatever. So, hmm. I'll agree with the middle part of your statement. I think Adamas will get a decent amount of starts just because they are both rookies and they're both guys you can't necessarily lean on full-time. I don't see how the Rockies will end up giving significant playing time to Jose Reyes. I just feel like they're going to have to do something with him, and I don't think that something's going to be putting him out on the baseball field. You know, I Like I said earlier, I don't think they're going to trade him, but I just don't think they really want to have a spot for him at this point. I think he'll probably end up being released, if not right away, very shortly after his suspension. I think he's out. Um, you know, I think Story's probably going to end up starting, I'd say, probably 90 to 100 games. I'd put Adamus probably somewhere around, like, 30 to 40. And then the remaining, the remaining what would that be, like, 20 to 30 or so, would go to guys like Descalso, you know, uh, random guys like that. I don't know. LeMayhew maybe <laughs> moves over to short. Yeah, that's, the, that's not what, Whatever Walt Weiss is feeling that day. <laughs> Cargo at shortstop. After he eats a steak and eggs and he's putting together a lineup card, okay. whatever he slots in there. But I just think Story, I just think he's earned a shot too much. Like, too obviously he's earned a shot. That doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Oh. And, like, I, I think they're going to give him this fair chunk of time just because he is the immediate future at shortstop, and he's proven that over the last month. And I don't think they're going to give up on him that easily. However, I don't see the Rockies doing much in terms of his service clock. As much, as great as that sounds, yeah, it just doesn't seem like kind of thing that they do, especially for a guy like that who 
even though he's obviously shown glimmers of greatness, he's not exactly Byron Buxton. He's not Chris Bryant. He's not that level of player. And we have Brendan Rodgers coming up through the system where by the time service clock becomes an issue, we don't even know where Story's going to be, whether he's a star or an average player. And we're probably going to have another guy ready by that point. And it's it's kind of ridiculous to be slating in an 18-year-old into our starting rotation in four years or our starting lineup. But a little bit, yeah. When you draft a guy third <laughs> overall and he shows as much potential as Rodgers does, you have to at least look at that a little yeah, bit. I mean, you hope that he turns out, but at this point, Rodgers is still a prospect, and prospects disappoint all the time and are made to disappoint you. So not so making a decision based on something that could happen five years from now is just not not the brightest choice. And plus, with the extra, if, like, say down the line Rodgers is ready and we still have two years on Story's contract and we want to get rid of him or, like, I don't know, move him over to second base or something, like, two years on two years of team control left is a pretty sweet deal for a solid young shortstop. So it, it just makes sense to... Um, stop his service clock and get that extra year. So, let, let me just remind you really quick, now that we're on Purple Row, we're not allowed to be pessimistic about prospects. <laughs> Every Everybody 1 through 40 in the prospect rankings, we have to be optimistic that he's going to one day be an all-star. Okay, sounds so good. We'll, That's my, I'll keep but, that in mind from here on out. All right, but we've drilled our, our shortstop discussion into the ground. Yeah. Let's be done with that. Okay. So instead of talking about 2020, let's go back to this year. Number of all stars. This is my. This is our last prop bet here. Number of all stars. I'm putting the bar at two and a half. Isaac wanted three and a half, but I thought that sounded a little lofty with our current roster, so I'm putting it at two and a half. What? Where are you at with that? The potential all stars I see on our roster right now are Cargo, Blackman, Lemayhew. And I don't know, maybe some wild card for a fourth Dude, option. Nolan. Oh, oh yeah, we have that guy Nolan on. <laughs> not bad either. Uh, it's like that time I forgot Chad Qualls again. No, oh my gosh. Chad right. Qualls. Yeah. So that one guy that plays third base, and then those three I mentioned. So you have a lock, like Nolan Arenado, barring some crazy injury, knocking on every wooden piece I see, is an all-star by virtue of his like abilities he is an all-star then so it comes down to does cargo stay healthy if he does all-star does blackman play the same way he did last year if he does probably an all-star then the question marks lemayhew so i'm going over just based off of that like thought process and the fact that i'm banking on cargo staying healthy for the entire year i'm saying over i'm going under I agree Arenado's pretty much a lock at this point. Jeez, Isaac. Big <laughs> guy over here. What Dude, to the, what let, me, let me at least exonerate myself. What happened to that optimism? So I got, obviously, as you said, Arenado, the guy who I completely wrote off for some reason. He's going to be an all-star. Outfield, you're sitting here and you're saying if Cargo's healthy, he's going to be an all-star. You look at the outfield, though. The NL outfield's packed with talent. It's nuts. I think we're lucky to have either Cargo or Blackman become an all-star, even if Cargo's healthy. I mean, Cargo was pretty much healthy all of last year. He was nowhere near an all-star in July. So, I mean, healthy or not, Cargo's not exactly a lock. Charlie Blackman, I mean, he's, he's put up great numbers. Last year, he tore the cover off the ball in April. He was at like 4'10 or something. But, like I said, I mean, you have Harper, Stanton, McCutcheon, Hayward, you have all these guys in the National League. I guess when you put it, it's just hard to compete. It's hard to predict one of our outfielders, let alone two, making it. Then Lemayhew, as you remember in my article I wrote a while back, I don't think he's going to live up to where he was last year, even with a thin second base market, (laughs) market, second base competition in the National League. He doesn't necessarily do enough to stick out unless he's going to hit, you know, three ten, three twenty again this year, which. It's possible, but there's a decent chance it's not going to happen. So I think I'd probably pin us at two All-Stars, and I'm saying under. Okay. Um, 
do have one question for you. Who's going to be there at shortstop? Ooh. I have to go through the teams and think about it. I mean, you have Brandon Crawford in San Francisco. He was right. great last year, really broke out. Uh, and Corey Seager, is, everyone's super hyped on him. He's a rookie, but there's talk that he could potentially be an all-star right off the bat. Uh, I mean, Johnny Peralta is out for St. Louis, so not him. Addison Russell could. I mean, Addison Russell, he's still batting ninth for the Cubs most of the time, but he's amazing defensively. If he brings his batting average up a little bit, maybe gets a little bit more pop, he could be in the running there. Um Okay, so let me just like roll through out names here. Yeah, so Jun Ho Kong for um, Pittsburgh. I mean, he's more of like a third base guy. And third he's out first month of the season, by the way. Right. Gene Segura, Arizona. Eugenio Suarez. Boo. Alexi Ramirez in San Diego. Eric mm-hmm. Ibar in Atlanta. Is Drupal Cabrera for the Mets. I mean, he might be hurt. Um, Jonathan VR for Milwaukee. Orlando Arcia for Milwaukee if he comes up at any time soon. Danny Espinosa is probably going to play shortstop for the Nationals. Yikes. Yeah. Freddie Galvis is for Philadelphia. Hecheveria in Miami. Jordy Mercer for is going to play for Pittsburgh right now. Like, there isn't... Knights of Columbus as weak. What if Story is an all-star as a rookie? Just what if that happened? That could be real. It could happen basically just be essentially by, if... By default. Yeah, by default. If Seager, if like one of those first... So Seager, Russell, and Crawford are the top three guys. Like we don't really know what Seager's going to do because he's kind of in the same situation Story is, but everything we've seen or heard or whatever for about him is that he's that kind of player. It's very possible that Trevor's story, if he continues the role that he's on, at least for like two or three months, could be in consideration for an all-star game. All-star bid. Just something to think about. Heard it here first. Hot takes. <laughs> oh, God. Alright, well, that, we'll that's how, that's how you get notoriety right there. Just throw out crap like Skip Bayless and just yeah. hope it hope it sticks somewhere. What if Tony Walters wins the MVP this year? Yes or no? Prop bet. Yes. Bobby would say yes. I'm saying no. Suck it, Bobby. In three days <laughs> there's gonna be a headline on ESPN. Rocky's backup catcher for MVP? Question mark? Question Lo- local mark? Rockies bloggers say yes. <laughs> say <laughs> Imagine that. That'd be great. Anyway, yeah. all right. So, couple couple notes before we go to Logan Social Minute. Our good pal Juan Nicasio has pitched his way into the Pittsburgh Pirates rotation. How do Let you me feel? run down his stats right quick. He's pitched in five games in spring training, 15 innings, 10 hits, no runs, 24 Ks. Teams are betting 190 <laughs> against him. Oh, my God. That... Uh. No explanation. Moving on. <laughs> That's like a strikeout and a half per inning. That's more than that. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. Um, Yuli Chassin made the Atlanta rotation. So that's cool. Good to see okay. him. Good to see him. He's a good guy. Someone I appreciate. Um, Jordan Pacheco is likely making the Cincinnati roster as like kind of the Tony Walters of Cincinnati. So that's kind of cool. Did you see that thing? The Purple Row guys were talking about it earlier today, I think. It was a roster of guys, like how good each team would be if no one got traded or like like signed away as a free agent. Yeah, what do you think about that? The Rockies would be stacked, and it would not include Jordan Pacheco, but... Yeah, I... Okay. I mean, look, look around the league. A lot of talent out there from ex-Rockies, but That's moving true. on. All right, that's pretty much all I have for that. Yeah. You want to move on? You ready for your your time of glory? All right, yeah, let's see what happens here. Okay. Hit me. So what do you know about the Nick Young-D'Angelo Russell scandal? <laughs> I don't know what's worse. I think it's funny that everyone's hating on Nick Young, or not Nick Young, on D'Angelo yeah. Russell, when Nick Young like is clearly like, like, 
play in the field a little bit, even right. though he's engaged. Let's let's set the stage a little bit. Nick Young is engaged to Iggy Azalea, rapper, pop star. I, yeah, what's her qualification? Pop star. Both. Okay, we'll just go pop star. Pop star Iggy Azalea. D'Angelo Russell filmed Nick Young talking about him cheating on Iggy. Um, posted it online, basically sent it to TMZ. The Lakers got mad at D'Angelo. The world's mad at D'Angelo. And now there's some mean girl shit happening. Oh, and... Where, oh, where and no Iggy, one will sit with D'Angelo at lunch. Well, and Iggy Azalea was like, thanks, bro, like, to him posting the video, which is kind <laughs> of hilarious. I don't know. I feel like you can't blame a 20-year-old too much for filming anything. Kids these days, am I right? Sure. All right. Next one. So the Warriors and Lyft played a prank on Festus Azili, basically simulating what would happen if Azili got um, cut. Did you see the video? I watched like half of it and then we got distracted talking about playing for this podcast. What are your thoughts? I don't get how a dude who's like 24, who's a huge part of the Warriors rotation, could possibly fall for that. (laughs) But at the same time... Basketball players fall for that all the time. So that cracks me up. All right. All good fun, though. When, when your team is about to set the record for most wins in the regular season, you can have fun like that. Fair enough. All right, last one. It's a little bit more serious than we usually go, but we're going to go for it. So the U.S. women's national soccer team is filing a lawsuit about lost wages. Five of their prominent players are filing a lawsuit about, um, like, the wage dis- like. Um, disparagement between the men's team and the women's team. Um, the men make about twenty million more dollars on the whole. Um, it's like twenty-two million for a friendly win, and the women make one point four million for a friendly win. Um, and their claim is that they bring in more revenue to the program than the men's team does. Which, yeah, they're better. They probably should. What are your thoughts? I mean, first off, I didn't even know people got paid to play on the national team. I thought yeah. that was just like a patriotic symbolism type of thing. Good. Um, no, they get paid. I mean, men versus women wages and, and generally just sports equality is a pretty hot button issue. But, you know, you look at like NBA versus WNBA, and there's a lot of people that say WNBA doesn't get enough credit. Well, to me, that's a little bit more justified just because men's obviously draws in a lot more money. Men play at a much higher level, just in terms of athleticism, ability, everything. I don't know about ability, but they're, they're jumping a little higher and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a little bit... To me, I, mean, I feel like I just have Jalen Rose telling me not to get fired right now. Again, it happens every <laughs> don't podcast. Get, don't get fired. But, um, I mean, to me, it seems a little bit more justifiable in, like, a basketball setting. But with, with soccer... It does seem a little bit more equal in terms of just raw ability. And like you said, women's national team is winning World Cups. They're winning you know, Olympic gold medals. They're they're really kind of a, a world powerhouse, and they're a world contender. Men's national team, while they are talented, they're not the ones bringing home the, the awards, the medals, the, you know, the first place finishes in any of these tournaments. So I can definitely see that. And like I said, I don't know anything about wages just because I didn't even know they got paid. <laughs> but if something like that is the case, I could definitely see the women's national team having a, a case in this situation. Huh, there you go. Uh, that's all I got for you. Got anything else you want to say? No, I just think it's funny how the whole premise of this is that I'm an old man because I don't really use social media that much. And then I, and then I, I finish off my first one by saying kids these days. <laughs> Seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's it's very fitting. Well, thank you everybody for listening. You can find both of our writing at Purple Row. Logan's is going to make his debut sometime in the next week or so. I've already posted a few articles. Um, you can find us as always on iTunes, on Twitter at Altitude, um, or on SoundCloud. You could search Altitude Talk Show. We'll pop up. Um, we'll, we might be finding a couple more platforms to spread our beautiful knowledge, and you can hear our luxurious voices. Um, but we'll keep you updated as we know more. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Later.